The Clemson Tigers did not look like the well-oiled machine that we expected versus the Duke Blue Devils Monday night. But is there reason for optimism for the 2023 college football season? Yes. And I'm going to tell you why next on the Locked On Clemson podcast. You are Locked On Clemson, your daily podcast on the Clemson Tigers. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Clemson family? Welcome back to the Locked On Clemson Podcast, your daily podcast covering your Clemson Tigers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your boy, Damian Parson, always on the ones and twos. You can find and follow me on Twitter at DP underscore NFL. I am a national scout over with the Draft Network, as well as part of the co-host team of the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Guys, thank you all for tapping in, and thank you for making Locked On Clemson your first listen today and every day. You already know. Thank you all for being my family, but thank you also for being my every dayers guys um we have a fun show we have a fun show uh really getting into um the optimism is there reasons to be optimistic yes and i have reasons why okay after that after that loss no more emotion now it's time for me to step into being an analyst and breaking down what i saw um and everything like that so uh, we're going to get into the defensive standouts. There were three guys. There were a couple guys that played well, but there were three guys that really stood out to me during when I was watching this game back. Uh, Will, on the interior off, on the interior offensive line, Will Putnam and uh, Marcus Tate were outstanding. We're going to talk about those two guys. As well as, for me, the wide receivers are better than what they displayed Monday night, guys. So let's go ahead and kick this thing off. Defensive standouts: Andrew Makuba, Xavier Thomas, edge rusher, and freshman edge rusher T.J. Parker. Let's start with uh, with Andrew Makuba, man, friend of the show, one of our guys who has tapped in with us, uh, you know, and before, and, and a guy that I got a lot of love for, man. But what he was able to do, you know, we, I talked about the pregame in, in in the live stream. Andrew Makuba was going to be in the nickel. Right when they want when because they, they were going to run those kind of three safety looks with him in the nickel. You have Jalen Phillips and R.J. Mickens as the two safeties over the top. And I, I'm gonna just tell you right now, starting with coverage, what he was able to do per PFF. I told you I wanted to wait until their numbers came out, so you know you can see snap uh, snap alignment, all that good stuff. Andrew Mukuba, you know, in man-to-man coverage, in coverage, went against Jalen Calhoun, the best wide receiver for Duke, and then Samir. Hagens, the uh, one of their other uh, wide receivers, and he was targeted nine times. All right, Andrew Makuba in coverage, targeted nine times. He only allowed four catches for 19 yards and only two first downs. He, the, <clears throat> excuse me, he allowed 4.8 yards per reception allowed. So he let he in coverage, he allowed less than five yards per reception. Okay, now and and you the bulk of that, uh, the bulk of those numbers came against Jalen Calhoun when he faced up, when he manned up and lined up against Jalen Calhoun, he saw eight targets, uh, three only allowed three receptions, and he allowed eighteen yards, six yards per reception versus Calhoun, one of their more dynamic and explosive wide receivers. Okay, so Andrew Makuba was out there balling. You you understand me? He was. Balling out there, guys, and I, I appreciate everything I saw from him. He was a willing participant 
in the run game as well, where they would kind of mug up the line of scrimmage and show a lot of bodies and, and crowd and, and basically show them that we're not giving you any open running lanes uh, on these situations. And he just did it overall, man. He just did a good job. Uh, Andrew McCuba just did a great job overall to me. Uh, a guy, he, like I said, he was out there making tackles, and you just saw him one-on-one. One-on-one against their best option, their best wide receiver. Not only that, he's – I mean, one of the fumbles didn't count, but he was around the football, right? He has a nose for the football. The first one was, you know, the, the, the ball was, I mean, the player was down, but the ball came out. Andrew McCooper recovered that. But then when um, R.J. Makins, you know, they did this a couple times against the run. Uh, they, they walked him down uh, into the box, into the A-gap, and he attacked the, uh, the center or guards, creating some, some surge and penetration on the interior offensive line. And then, you know, in one of those plays, the running back took the tried to bounce the ball, bounce the run outside. There was really no no lanes to run through. He ended up fumbling the football, and Andrew McCuba picked that up and secured that fumble as well. So that's why I'm telling you guys, like the defense did their job, right? Andrew McCuba was a stud out there. He did a lot of great things, being around the football, being locked down. He locked down their number one wide receiver in the nickel. That's the listen. My comp for him as an NFL player was has always been Jimmy Ward for who's play who played nickel. He played some corner. He played nickel. He played strong and free safety for um, D'Amico Ryan's and the San Francisco 49ers throughout his career. Now he's in Houston doing the same thing. I've said this before on that on this podcast. I said the exact same thing before that I've always viewed Andrew McCuba like a, almost a carbon copy of Jimmy Ward, a versatile Swiss Army knife in coverage, that type of defender that can blitz and be a plus one in the run game. Now, let's kick it over to Xavier Thomas. Guys, Xavier Thomas, you look at what he did as a pass rush. Now, he didn't have, we did not sack um, – we did not get any sacks on um, – I might call him uh, Duke Riley, <laughs> Riley Leonard. We didn't get any sacks on him, but Xavier Thomas was the best pass rusher on the field uh, basically for the team. He had six hurries Last night, he hurried the quarterback six times and that matchup between him and um, the offensive lineman from Duke, Jake Hornybrook, who I can tell you right now, uh, Jake Hornybrook for a PFF grade. For those who who really value the grades, he in pass protection, Jake Hornybrook, he, he has 60 uh, five total uh, total total uh, snaps at, at right tackle. Thirty nine, almost 40 of those were in passing situations. His pass blocking grade was a 46.6. He allowed six pressures, six hurries, and all of those came from our guy, Xavier Thomas. The XT was a menace coming off the edge. You saw him be able to win the outside uh, arc and be able to protect uh, the outside shade a lot. You know, the first step quickness, everything. Now, what I wanted to see, I think, for me, is just like I always say, pressures and hurries are sacks that aren't completed. And I wanted to see him get back there and complete. And the crazy thing about it, it was a couple times I saw when I was watching the game that he was right there. He was right there. And Riley Leonard timing just to feel in the pocket. He got the ball out right before XT could uh, could get his hand on his arm or his shoulder to either strip sack him or just, you know, uh, knock his arm down, bring him to the ground, just get a sack, period. But he got into the backfield. Jay Cornybrook really didn't have a whole ton of answers unless he was able to quick set him and things like that. That's where I want to see that evaluate that, that development for, for XT is when guys quick set you like that, then you just got to use your hands and work back inside. All right. It's like, it's like legitimately uh, just hand fighting. A guy want to jump set you, quick set you, and, and take a, take the, what do you call, taking the air out of the pass rush set, right? Taking the wind out of your sails, taking the wind out of the pass rush set. If he wants to do that and he jumps out there, 
to meet you, then boom, you work back inside because now he's just giving you the inside leverage. So I want to see him develop those inside counters and, in, and the inside handwork. But overall, he was a standout. He was a stud. And I got to give love to the young man, TJ Parker, this young man, also himself, he had a QB hit. He had three uh, pressures and hurries in this game um, on Monday night, but he also looked very fluid, uh, dropping off into coverage when they want to go do some fire zone stuff and drop a defensive end off to try and, ju- you know, get into the quick game passing lanes. And he did a good job of that. He looked fluid in space. Of course, what you want, you don't want him. Uh, what was it, Harold Perkins, the the DN or the, the linebacker hybrid at LSU that they played off ball instead of letting him rush. You don't want him, you don't want that type of situation, but you do want uh, this young man to be in a position where uh, he can do multiple things for your defense. And like I said, these three, these three young men came to play and they balled out, man. You know what I mean? They made impact plays or whether it was turnovers, getting to the quarterback, making the quarterback uncomfortable. And, and, and truly Riley Leonard did not have a good game. He did not have a good game. Uh, Kate club, they got past him, you know, you know, for the most part, you know, you're talking about the top passer, the top rusher, and top receiver. All of those guys were Clemson guys. Why is that? Because Clemson beat themselves and Duke did not. Like I, I'm being honest here. Shout out to Duke. Duke was a very tough opponent. But like I said, I, I truly, the tape don't lie. Like Clemson beat themselves. And but at the same time, that's why I'm. That's also why I'm optimistic. Because it wasn't like they got like destroyed and bodied like Florida State did to LSU. That wasn't the case. Clemson made big boneheaded mistakes that cost them points. I believe it was 20 points that they left on the field. Two fumbles inside the five, inside the four that took away potential touchdowns. A block field goal, um, you know what I mean? And then a, a shank field goal. So that's what? Six, 14, that's 20. That's 20 points. That is 20 points. All right? So, yes, you know, Duke got the light touchdown, but that's because the game was already over. You get those scores and you get on and you jump on top of, of, of Duke on the scoreboard. Now you're making them play from behind. And they didn't really look that even that comfortable playing with a lead. So, again, that's another reason why I am optimistic. But you want to know why? What, what else made me optimistic? A couple guys on the offensive line Will Putnam, Marcus Tate. They did what I needed them to do stop Dwayne Carter. So, why am I optimistic? Based off of their performance, I'm going to tell you why next on the Locked On Clemson Podcast. For a championship team, it's all about making sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. So the next time you need parts and accessories for your vehicle, head over to eBay Motors. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, then you can be sure that the next time you need something and need a part for your car, Every part you need fits the first time around. You just need to add your ride to my garage and look for the green check to know the part will fit or your money back. Because just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game, baby, when you shop on eBay Motors. And with over 122 million parts to choose from, you'll be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win when the right parts are guaranteed. So get the right parts, the right fit, the right prices at ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. eBay guaranteed fit, only available to U.S. customers.
The offensive lineman that stood out in this game was Will Putnam, your center, and your left guard, Marcus Tate. Two guys that I believe were going to have two of the biggest assignments in this game whenever they saw number 90, Dwayne Carter, one of the most disruptive interior defensive linemen, not just in the ACC, but in the country. So let's look at what the numbers say. Because you guys, you know, we've been talking about the numbers the whole time. So let's look at what the numbers say. Dwayne Carter, right, he had... He did have a sack. He had a sack, uh, but he didn't have anything else outside of that. 31 pass rush reps, only one sack. He didn't have any hurries, any pressures, um, no QB hits, none of that, right? And then when you look at the uh, the blocking aspect of things, for, and we know what happened in the run game, right? We know what happened in the run game. Dwayne Carter couldn't, couldn't help them stop the run as we ran over, for, ran over 200 yards, right? So, but let's look at the blocking. Let's look at the, this, this stuff here. Again, I'm gonna give you these guys, give you guys these these PFF grades because I know some people really value them or whatever. I value more of the numbers in terms of sacks, hits, hurries, pressures, things of that nature. But the two, when you look at what what we saw, right? Marcus Tate pass blocking grade eighty two point seven. Will Putnam pass blocking grade eighty five point three. He both of those guys will rock will rock solid. They were the foundation of this offensive line, right? But but you look at everything else. A lot of the pressures and stuff came from uh you know the tackles. Tristan Lay struggled a little bit, but he he rebounded, but he struggled. He had four pressures allowed, a hurry, uh one hit and two and two sacks, one QB hit and two sacks. Then you look at Blake Miller, a guy that I was always concerned about because of his uh his body type, his frame and just the 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 lack of athleticism and uh, you know, lateral agility that I saw on tape when it came to, when I watched him over the summer, and he allowed six pressures, six hurries, no sacks, no QB hits, but he he was part of the reason why K didn't feel comfortable at times as well. So when I'm sitting here and I'm like, all right, watching this interior offensive line, these guys are going. These I think they they're going to get better, right? And well, when you have a center like Will Putnam, that's going to also help another guy who struggled, and that was um, uh, where is he? Where is he? I forgot the the other uh, interior offensive lineman. Walker Parks, the right guard, he struggled. He allowed four pressures, four hurries. He, uh, you know, so just to give for for some context, Blake Miller had a a pass blocking grade per PFF, 47.5. Walker Parks had a 42.2. You know, Tristan Lee ended up rebounding with a 770.4, right? But when you look at the, the right side of the offensive line, that's where over, that's where 10 pressures 10 pressures, 10 hurries came from in this game. So here's what, what we can do. Here's how you figure why I'm optimistic, right? When your interior offensive lineman can handle one-on-one duties against a talented interior defensive defensive front, that gives you a lot of reason to be optimistic. For one, because you hope that Tristan laid now, and that was his first start, his first action of college football at tackle uh, full-time. So what does it say? Uh, he gets his footing and he he rebounds next week and the next couple weeks and he plays better, right? He plays rock solid. Then Marcus Tate and Will Putnam are able to go one on one. What you what that allows you to do is if they want to attack Walker Parks going forward, then you allow uh, you know what I'm saying you you kind of slap protection. Okay, and you allow uh, Will Putnam to be his bumper to help him out and tell Walker Parks, you protect your right hand, protect your right hand and your right hip. I got you on the backside. I got you on the left. Right. And I'm going to be a bumper like bumper cross, baby. My elbow's going to be ready. Like we're like we're like this is hockey. I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to shock a guy into the into the 
you know, into the railing, man. I'm trying to really throw him into the glass. I'm going to help you out, right? And then as well as help giving some help to Blake Miller. This is a fixable situation to me, but I'm going to also give you one other thing. Maybe, maybe you start calling Sadler along with Tristan Lay and you start one of those guys, you figure out who, you know, they both played very well and performed very well in camp. Maybe you start one at left tackle, you start the other one at right tackle. Maybe Blake just isn't the guy for the job. And those are the tough decisions that Dabo has to make as a head coach. But you can't be the head ball coach. You can't be laughing and joking and everything else and then run away and not, not run away, but not handle those difficult, tough situations. And I believe that he can, but it's all about, you know, co- let me tell you something, guys. Coaches have egos. So it's all about him not allowing his ego, um, saying that, well, we made the wrong decision. So listen, it happens, man. You know, you, you if you don't adapt, I said this in the, in the comments. You know, if you don't adapt, you die. Like, so you gotta you gotta make a change. And if you gotta make a change and put one, you know, put the other tools, he's six foot six, three hundred pound guy that can actually move much better than than Blake Miller, then you do that. And it's no slight to Blake, but it, you can't run into Florida State with him struggling to protect the arc. And if he has to quick set or he has to overset, overextend on, on to, to protect the outside shoulder, that then opens up inside counters. So. That's kind of how I look at it. I'm optimistic because there's ways to fix this offensive line uh, and on the right side, especially. Like I said, Tristan Lay struggled, especially early, but I felt like he settled down uh, halfway through that game and he played much better and everything. And like I said, I'll have, like, you know, I'm waiting on the, the, the all 22 to come through. Uh, and once I do that, I'll have it up on the Patreon. And I'll kind of break down some tape, things like that for you guys. And um, I want you guys to be able to see what I see. I want you guys to learn. So understand, like, hey, we're not going to be super emotional here. We're not going to think the season's over, none of that stuff, because that gets us nowhere, okay? It gets us nowhere. TCU, TCU were in, was in close game at the close game at the close game last year, guys, and that's the Big 12. It's the Big 12. They don't play defense over there. You know what I mean? So they were in close game at the close Actually, matter of fact, for those who didn't follow the college football playoff and championship week last year, TCU lost the Big 12 championship to Kansas State. And the committee still gave them the nod to go to the college football playoffs. Max Dugan wasn't even the starter. It was Chad Morris, I think is his, 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 first, is his name. Morris was the starter. He got hurt in the, in the first game. I think it was against Colorado, if I'm not mistaken. He got hurt in that game. And then Max Dugan came off the bench. And it didn't look pretty at first. And it, at times it didn't look pretty throughout the season. But they still got the benefit of the doubt. Here's another reason to be optimistic when it comes down to what we saw Monday and how we that is, it can get better and we may not see that again all season. Cincinnati, two years ago, Desmond Ritter, Alec Pierce, Maje Sanders, all those guys, Luke Fickle, they went to the, to the college football playoffs from the AAC. So I'm not trying to be emotional and think the season's over. I'm, I, guys, I'm a, I'm a football analyst. I break down tape. I look at coverages. I do all those things. I cannot operate like that, and I love you guys, so I don't want you to do it either, all right? So that we're here. We're here, all right? We're here. But another reason why I am optimistic, the wide receivers, I do not believe that they are as bad as they looked, you know what I mean, Monday night. I think that they are better than that, and I'm going to tell you why next on the Locked On Clemson Podcast. The wide receiver for your 2023 Clemson football Tigers are better than what we saw versus the Duke Blue Devils. Even to a point where Antonio Williams again was the final, well, he was the leading receiver, I believe. If I remember, if I, if I look at the numbers again, he was the leading receiver for the game. If I 
I think, yeah, he was. Uh, he, he was targeted 11 times. He had seven receptions for 56 yards. Um, you know, he had a, a nice catch on, the, on, I think it was an over route um, that got him down into the low red zone on one of the drives right before they fumbled. I think that was the one where that was a drive where the first fumble where Cade and he tried to do the zone read into the bench point with, uh, I think, Will Shipley, ball, poor ball handling and miscommunication between the two. And, you know, that's when Duke got the first fumble. And then, you know, defense got to stop and all that. But on that drive, Cade was three for three. And one of the bigger plays on that on that drive in the passing game was to Antonio Williams on the right sideline. So when I look at it, man, I think Antonio Williams is, is, is a good young wide receiver. I watched his tape. You know, over the summer, I watched how he stemmed his routes. How he knows how to get open, and he can get open, especially against man-to-man coverage, right? And even on the pass where he dropped, he was open. I would say that K didn't lead him to the sideline and threw that ball, throw the ball away from the um, away from the defender. You know what I mean? It was, he, he kind of put the ball right on him, and it kind of stopped him. When you're running those outbreakers and those out routes, you want to lead the receiver to the sideline. Um, away from the defender, throw them. It's basically essentially throwing them open. Throw with and also throw with anticipation. I didn't see that from Cade, but again, young player, his first uh, start of the 2023 season, a lot of um, hype and everything, and the expectations, uh, you know, was just a little bit too big for the team. But I think Cole Turner is better than what we saw. And, and the thing I kept I kept going back to is, yeah, is they're going to play too high and everything, so they want to take away the deep game. I understand working the underneath, but I want to see not the screens and all that stuff, but get these guys on mesh concept, get these guys on slants, on end breakers, right? The comeback, the comeback routes. And even with Bo Collins, I think he played solid for the for the targets he received, right? He did have one that I, I was very frustrated with. It was a low high by K, but you're six foot three. You know what I'm saying? You're a big body receiver. Go up and get that. You know what I mean? He didn't come down with that football, but he was able to, you know, against off coverage and soft coverage, he's able to create uh, separation himself. But here's why I think things could where I, and I think I said this before, I would love to see Bo Collins as a not a full time slot, but you know in those more open spread concepts where you have three to four wide receivers. I would like to see, especially four four or four options. I would like to see him in the slot, kind of like what we call a power slot, big slot. Let him be a power forward against these smaller five foot. Uh, 10, 5 for 11 nickels, let them post these guys up and, and, and things of that nature. But also, guys, not just the, the wide receivers, the tight ends. And this is something Garrett Riley, I know some people are blaming Dabo Sweeney for the offense and everything. Hey, listen, I can't speak on that, all right? I can't say if if Dabo has tried to handicap or handcuff, um, you know, Garrett Riley as, as a play caller, or if he did it to Tony Elliott, if he did it to Streeter or anybody else like that. I just know that that offense last year was god-awful. Um, and, and it was it, it looked different. Count route, route concept, spacing, everything looked different this year. They, there was – yeah, I don't – no, Streeter's not getting off the hook. He called a terrible offense last year in 2022. But w- the one thing that Garrett Riley has to do better with is dialing up plays directly for the tight end. Last year, you know, his big six foot, I think it's six foot seven, 260 pound uh, tight end Jared Wiley over at TZU. He only had 29 targets. He caught 24 of them. He had an 80, 83% um, completion percentage in his direction in terms of his reception percentage for only 246 yards, but he averaged over 10 yards a, uh, a catch, man. And that's work in the middle of the field, the over routes, the crossers, things of that nature. And that's, listen, guys, go back to the playoff game. When TCU faced Michigan, right, when Michigan started sending pressure at Max, 
what did Garrett Riley do? I just thought about that. What did he do? He went to mesh. He went to mesh concept. You want to play cover zero? You want to play man-to-man across the board? All right, tell you that's a man beater. Mesh concept is a man-to-man beater, right? It's a it's 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 to defeat man-to-man coverage. So what do you do? Run that. And if you felt like the receivers were struggling to get open last night, when you have a guy that is in, in Cole Turner, who's a, a fast, explosive receiver, you get him on a on a horizontal plane, right? Running full speed in one direction. And you get the ball to him in stride. Now he turns up the opposite sideline with that long stride, with his long speed, right? Antonio Williams, same thing. Bo Collins. And then you turn, you allow big Adam Randall to be big, to be physical. I'm going to tell you a guy that, you know, if anything, I want to see him use like as A.J. Brown. Use him like A.J. Brown, man. So I, I just look at this from an aspect of the reason to be optimistic is that, truthfully, guys, Jake Brittany stool. All I want, like I said, when it's going back to the situation with the tight end, I want to see him. I want to see Garrett Riley get the tight ends involved, get Brittany stool involved, get him involved. This, the seam routes, the, the skinny posts from the, from the, from the uh, inline tight end position, right? The corner routes, all of it, sit downs, the, the button hooks, finding a soft spot in the zone, in the middle of the field and being the big body target that he is six, six, two thirty. Come on, man. It's there. It's there. It's there. So, no, this wide receiver core. I've seen in the tweets of people, they can't separate stuff like that. But I watched Antonio Williams separate a good bit last year as a true freshman. Do I think that he's not going to be able to separate this year? <laughs> no, I do think he can separate. He can. I watched Cole Turner win vertically down the field. Come on, man. What are we talking about here? Huh? I watched Bo Collins get open. And, and you know what I'm saying? Go back to yellow the, the, the opener last year against uh what was it Georgia Tech? I think he he dropped two of DJU's touchdowns, but he was able to win get over the top and DJU put it up, put put the ball where he can get it. Come on, man. I'm just guys, listen, like I told you, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be here all season and I'm gonna make sure that you guys are not losing your minds. All right, I'm gonna do my best to help you with that because I don't want to see you do it. At the end of the day, this team, um, these receivers, these tight ends are better than what we saw on display week one. I mean, heck, Marvin Harrison Jr. is the best wide receiver in all of college football. He had two catches for 18 yards. Ohio State has a terrible quarterback situation right now. They don't know who's QB1. We do. We know it's Kate Klubnik. I'm not going to hit there and say Kate is not the answer. You know, just, you know, we, we go out. I, I don't operate like that. I don't operate like that. But you guys blame DJU last year, and then now people are starting to blame Kate. Let's not let let's let's allow young players to develop. Let's let's just do that. So rule of thumb: allow young players to develop. Give them time. You know, a couple games. Eh, it's the start of the season with a really tough opponent, a divisional opponent, a conference, a league opponent. Yeah, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Practice patience. All right. Don't be like you know what I'm saying. Like sports fan, football, especially football fans. You we we have a as a community we have a tendency. To want fast food all the time to the point where someone says, I want to make steak and you don't want it homemade. You want to throw it in the microwave and eat it like that. If you eat steak out of the microwave, you're a psychopath. Okay. You're a psycho. And what is that for, for in this situation? If you don't believe in player development, you're a psychopath. I'm just, I'm just going to be honest with y'all. All right. So listen, at the end of the day, man, 
there is reason to be optimistic. And the receivers are better than what we thought and what we saw. Uh, Will Putnam, Marcus Tate, even Christian Lane, those guys played good football for the most part, and especially Marcus Tate and Will Putnam. They were rock solid. They were the foundation. And the defensive standouts, man, Andrew McCuba, TJ Parker, Xavier Thomas, those guys came to play, guys. But that is the show for today. I wanted to bring you some more, some good news. I, I talked about all the bad stuff on yesterday uh, right after the game and all that stuff. But I wanted to bring some some reasons to be optimistic. And, um, yeah, man, that's I, I, just how I feel. They, they, this is not over. This 2023 season is not over. They're not winning three games. They're winning more than that. They're going to be competitive. They're going to play much, much better. Again, don't shoot yourself in the foot. Don't fumble two times inside the five and you win this football game. Don't shank, uh, uh, don't block, you know, not block uh, uh, explosive DB coming off the edge versus on a field on a, on the your freshman kicker's field goal his first field goal of his career and don't shank the next one bruh like come on gun don't shake the don't shank the next one but at the end of the day guys that's just what it is man there's reason to, to be optimistic so at the end of the day hold on let's get through the, these next two weeks Charleston Southern with Florida Atlantic let's get through these next two weeks and then we get prepared to talk about that juggernaut that is from Florida State Seminoles. But, guys, thank you all for making Locked on Clemson your first listen today and every day, Monday through Friday. Thank you for being my family. And also thank you guys so much, so much, so much for being my everydayers. Let's continue to get the YouTube channel up to 1,000 subscribers. I think we're over 700 now. Appreciate you guys for everybody. Remember, I told you, FTA for the algorithm. Comment, holler at your boy. Thank you guys for all of that. Go subscribe and follow for free on YouTube, wherever you listen to podcasts, to get the latest episode as soon as it is available. Uh, in terms of Twitter, you can find and follow me there at DP underscore NFL. Talk to me because I do talk back. 